this is the joy part of it all. Yeah. How good people can be. Yeah. And how love really does. It, it's just, it's amazing how it can carry you through times you don't think you're going to make it. Um, I, I think I learned so much in such a difficult way. But, God, it was, it was a lesson I'll, I'll forever be grateful to Garrett for, forever. I'm so grateful for him. This story comes with a bit of a warning. To all of you who have lost a child, this will surely bring up all those memories again. It might be too much for you. Maybe you're not at a place where you're ready to listen to Kim's story right now. But it may also provide some healing. It's always my hope and intention that the stories shared here on the podcast are something that can offer insight, comfort, lessons, and the knowledge that no matter what we have endured, we're not alone. I know several women who have lost a baby. I have watched them process their sadness in different but similar ways. There's so much hope attached to a new life. The pain of loss can be all-consuming. And while Kim's story of loss and pain is at times hard to be witness to, there is also just such a beautiful account of love here. There is joy in her telling this story. There are many, many times that she talks about how lucky she was to have the support of friends and family, the ways in which she was grateful, and what beauty and love the world is full of. We start and end the podcast with laughter, and if you know her, that uh, sums her up. And that, for me, is the key. That, again, I'm reminded that it is not the things we endure in this life that decide who we are, but how we view them. The lens in which we decide to move forward is what decides what we do with the hard stuff, with our lessons, with our life. I met Kim after her second baby, Bryn, was about, I think, six months old or so. So I only knew her after she lost Garrick. And every year she grieves. Every year she remembers how old he would have been. I'm guessing that she wonders about what he would look like and who he would be now. And yet every year I've also watched her mourn and honor him while also at the same time being a strong mama for her children that are here and a wonderful friend to all those around her. She has taken what could have only been pain and loss and used it to grow and appreciate the love that the world does have to offer. So while this podcast could be really heavy, and it is at times, it's also really beautiful and full of layers of tenderness. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're recording. So I'm sitting here with Kim, and I don't know if I should tell the audience right off the bat, but I've known you for... Uh, 15 years now? Oh. 16? A long time. 16. A long time. Um, I've known this story for a very long time. I've known bits and pieces of it, but this might be the first time that we've really sat here and we're going to get into all the details. So okay. <laughs> she's, she's gotten very brave and agreed to tell this story, and I feel like it's a really important one, so I'm going to let you take over. Okay. I'm here to talk about losing my son, Garrick. It's something that causes me a lot of sadness and joy for different reasons. And 
guilt, and that's something I struggle with a lot with this whole story, I think, is the guilt of it all. Um, I, I guess I wasn't ready really to be a mom. It was an unexpected pregnancy, and I remember when I first found out I was pregnant, I went home on lunch break, and I had thought I had had the flu, and I just decided to try taking a pregnancy test, and I did, and it was positive. So I didn't go back to work, and I think I bought at least eight more tests, <laughs> <laughs> because they're all clearly faulty. Um, <clears throat> and I had been using protection um, condoms, so there's that morning, folks. Um, but uh, sure enough, I was pregnant. And oddly enough, instead of calling my boyfriend, I called my roommate, who proceeded to laugh hysterically. So I didn't know if I was going to laugh or cry, but I remember thinking, oh, this just can't happen. I'm, you know, I'm working two jobs. I've been dating this man for three months, and I was crazy about him, but there were bits and pieces of his, of his life that I didn't even know about. Sure. Um, and here I am pregnant with a child, and I'm 30, 31, 32, gosh, old enough to know better. And I am a preschool teacher, I love children, I work with kids, so having this huge, responsibility of all of a sudden I'm going to be a mom, you know, I, I, I didn't see any other option but to go through with the pregnancy after um, my now ex-husband and I talked for a long time. We decided, you know, this is a good thing. We loved each other and I could do it. I could be a mom and I've always wanted to be a mom. But I always had the back of my head like, well, maybe it's, maybe something will happen and you know, I, I, I will end up losing it in the very beginning. So in the first part of your pregnancy or all through the pregnancy? Oh, no, no, like... at the first part. At the okay. first part. I would say, like, the first month, I'm like, oh, dear. I still took care of myself, but part of me kept thinking, nah, this can't be real. And there was so much guilt around that. Um, After you lost him? Uh, during, even. Oh, during. Oh, yeah. Oh. I felt horrible, like I should... I should be more, more excited. excited. Okay, yeah. I shouldn't have, and I was excited, and I was in love. So it was definitely a step in, in the right move, I felt. But, you know, I was going the right path. It just was a path that I, I thought I'd be better prepared for, you know. Um, so, so. Was uh, it an easy pregnancy? Was it? Well, at the beginning, I thought I, was, I had the flu. So I was really sick. I was really sick. Um, for a while? For most of it. Um, I ended up uh, having terrible morning sickness. Um, and just, I was, it was brutal. It was a brutal pregnancy. But I had free reign to eat everything, and I took it. I would eat pans of lasagna, and I'd drink gallons of milk. Um, and, you know, I was only 99 pounds when I got married. So, it, it, and when I, we got married right after I, I had the um, baby. I mean, right before we had the baby, right? Yes. So we went in for our first um, ultrasound 
and sonogram and all that and they said bring a blank tape in and we went in and it was very exciting and we were going to find out the sex and um, I'll never forget sitting on the table and being nervous I, I tend to be a nervous person anyway and um, the, the woman who was doing it um, made a funny face and she just stopped and said, I need to get to the doctor, and ran out the door. And I remember instantly feeling like I was going to be sick, like, holy cow, that can't be good. Um, and Paul was like, no, don't worry, don't worry. You're, you, you know, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. The doctor came in and looked and, uh, said we need to make you an appointment right away with the cardiologist and that's all that I knew. So they, they didn't gave, give you any other? Um, they said that I needed to go see the cardiologist and um, that there seems to be something wrong with the heart. So we went from there to the cardiologist and with our blank tape, oh, it was so awful. Um, and we went to the cardiologist, and I was already lost in my own thoughts, lost in my guilt for maybe I jinxed this because I was, at the beginning, I was so, I didn't want this. And so it was, it was really a hard, hard visit. Um, and, you know, he did his, his thing and told me in a bunch of medical terms what was going on, um, but I couldn't hear anything. I just heard um, heart defect, heart surgery, possibility, or do I want to terminate? And that's all I remember hearing. I ran out of there. I didn't say goodbye. I just ran. And um, I don't even remember checking out, actually. I remember being in the car and crying and going home and just feeling like the world was just too much for me. It was just too much um, in this decision. Um, thankfully, I had a wonderful doctor, and he called me at home, and he he told me, you know, don't hang up. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you. I want to explain, not in doctor terms, what's going on, because I can't imagine being in your position right now and seeing your reaction. I can tell that it wasn't handled as as I should have handled it with you, which is so lovely. Um, so we talked for a while, and basically what happened was um, my son had a torn valve, and so the valve that stops the blood, once it's pumped to the other side of the heart, there's a valve that closes, and it stops the blood from going back. So it's basically, it was a plumbing issue, and um, so the blood was going back, to the other side of the heart. So he, it was pumping all the time really hard. Um, and it was getting engorged. And it was leaning against his lungs. So at that point, my big concern was, will he, what, does he feel pain? I mean, is, is this a possibility? You know, is his life gonna be awful, you know? 
I don't want to terminate if, if there's a chance that he could live a, a wonderful life, you know. And he assured me that, you know, there are many things that we could do and, and he, you know, he would take us every step of the way. So then began my very long journey of going to the doctors quite often. We had to, we had to beef him up basically so that they can induce labor and do heart surgery. Um, and on comes the other part of the guilt was I grew up in Massachusetts and you know, my family was still in Massachusetts and they kept saying, you should, you should go to Boston. You should go to Boston. You should get away from Maine and go to Boston and take care of this. A part of me felt like, yeah, I should. But the care that all these doctors were giving me, I felt like, I, I felt at home and I felt comfortable and it felt right. So I stayed there. So I've always had that guilt, like maybe if I had gone to Boston, something else would have. Right, but at the time, you there was no glaring reason other than your family saying Boston might be better. N no, right. Just so, it's just the Massachusetts snobbery that we are. Right. right. So it's like <laughs> that's <laughs> born in all of us Massachusetts. Well, not all of us, but you know. Yeah, yeah. We have a definite. We have a, a definite. Sort of like a pride in like. Yeah. You know. We're gonna go to you know we're gonna go to a Boston hospital and they're gonna take care of this and that's it. Um, my husband was from England, so he, he, he didn't carry the way, but we decided to stay here. It just made more sense. This is where we live. I was going to the doctors twice a week. Um, I was getting steroids um, pumped into me, shot into me, trying to beef him up so they could get him out and start the surgeries. Um, How, at what week were they gonna induce you? Well, they had to, I had to be watched very closely because right. they didn't want him to, they wanted me to uh, deliver naturally because the, the actual pushing of the baby helps clear the lungs better um, because of that pushing it. And they really wanted to see what was going on with the lungs where the heart was resting against the lungs, the engorged one. Okay. Um, so we, we were going to the doctors and, and I was getting steroids and I had to, I had to take it easy um, nights. I still worked, I had to work. I, we, we didn't have much money at all. Um, so I was working and going to doctor's appointments and then going home and pretty much I had to rest, which I'd sit with my feet up and I'd eat pans and pans and pans of lasagna <laughs> while getting shot with steroids. I went from 99 pounds to 199 pounds. That's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. I still can't picture you like that. You're such a tiny thing. Oh, there was, <laughs> was a lot to move around. It was a good thing I couldn't move around too much because, wow, I was heavy. Um, so at one point, and we were, it was getting later in uh, the pregnancy. Um, I was at work and I just didn't feel right. I, I felt, I, I just didn't feel right. I felt like something was wrong. And um, I ended up calling the doctor and she said, well, 
you know what, why don't you come on in? And I went in and he was having a heart attack while he was inside of me. So I had to be rushed to um, Maine Med and I was put on heart medication. And uh, he stabilized because he was a fighter. And so I stayed in Maine Med for five nights because they didn't want to give me too much heart medication and, and ruin my heart, but they had to get enough to make sure it was helping his heart. So there was a lot of monitoring of that. Um, and then I was finally um, able to go home, but I had to go on full bed rest. Um, and then one day we went in and they said, that's it. He, we're gonna, you're gonna have this baby next week. Whew, it was scary. Um, I knew that it was going to be very whirlwind. We were going to go through the natural birth process um, and they didn't want to give me um, medication because they didn't want anything to affect, you know, they wanted me to be able to really push and get him out and uh, so you they could you, do their work. So you knew you didn't even have the optional pain meds? Yeah, no pain meds. Um, so, so I went in um, and I was in labor off and on for three days um, and finally they said, you know, we're going to send you home and we'll try again next week. No. Yes. And so as they went to make sure that the heart doctor knew I had a team of doctors I had the heart specialist I had a surgeon I had the regular labor delivery it was it was a circus um, while they were outside getting ready to do that I finally dilated <laughs> meanwhile I had been there for three days and um, for better or worse I have I've always been surrounded by extremely caring people and supportive people. So at any given time in the labor room, in my, my room, I could have four friends, my mom, her friend, my dad, my sister, um, it's like a five friends. Uh, I do remember at one point um, I, I think there were probably, my mom was there, my mom's friend Linda, my sister was there, my husband was there, um, and I want to say there were at least six friends there. <laughs> As I'm trying to give birth, which was a little awkward, uh, my friend Ken now knows exactly what every inch, including the insides of me, looks like, <laughs> while they watched Seinfeld and laughed along while I was in labor, which was a wonderful distraction, but oh wow. Um, so I was allowed to go through the first stages of pushing, and, and when the baby was about to come, I had to go to a sterile and more private uh, delivery room because the heart specialists were standing by waiting to take him. I think that was our 
very, very hard part because after three days and months of agonizing over, you know, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? Will he be okay? I finally gave birth and I, I got to kiss his head and then I didn't see him for a few days. Well, I don't even know if it's a few days anymore. It felt a like time. a lifetime. Yeah. They uh, immediately worked on him and put a temporary um, shunt in his heart and he was taken down to NICU. Um, and that, that was pretty hard, not being able to hold your baby and to see him be taken away and not know if he's going to survive this or not. Um, that was really hard. Uh, but I had all this love and support, amazing amounts of love and support, cheesecakes and <laughs> so much food. It was crazy and so many visitors and just an outpouring of love that I actually now I am going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the joy part of it all. Yeah. How good people can be. Yeah. And how love really does. It, it's just, it's amazing how it can carry you through times you don't think you're going to make it. Um, so we spent a lot of time at Maymed. I lived in Lyman at the time. Um, so... If we, so Lemon was how far away from Main Med? Um, Quite a ways. Like it was about 45, 45 minutes. minutes. So it's outside of, um, it's beyond Biddeford. Yeah. So, so that was kind of a tricky part. And we also had a dog. So Paul would be making the journeys and I would be staying at the hospital. And, and they were so kind there. And, you know, I would stay at um, people's apartments if the, I couldn't stay at the hospital or um, I also stayed at the Ronald McDonald house which I can't speak enough of how amazing it is to be able to stay at a place that's right there by the hospital and it you know you you go to bed and there's there's somebody there cooking uh, we never ate there I just I wasn't fit for public or chatting or sharing at that point I I was just I, I, I was just basically on autopilot I think and, and scared out of my mind scared to death um, but you'd wake up in the morning and this is well before uh, cell phones or you know everybody having a cell phone right there would be um, phone cards under so for parents so that they could call and give people updates. It was wonderful. You know, coupons for for local restaurants and taxis and they just it was amazing. Um, the work that they do is just I can't speak enough about it. It's just it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing for a parent to know that they can spend as much time as they want with their baby and still have a place to sleep nearby. Um, so, uh, you know, that that was an interesting, interesting place. Um, just because I think a lot of parents have been there for a long time. Yeah. It was really hard for me to acknowledge 
what I was going through, kind of, um, because if I, I was afraid if I stopped and actually took the time to cry, I wouldn't be able to stop crying. Sure, sure. And so you're trying to go on autopilot, and yet, so the Ronald McDonald House was this amazing place, but I couldn't. Place. Yeah, I, I couldn't take part in the dinners and right. or the community of it all. I just couldn't. Yeah. Um, Which makes I wasn't sense able. to me. Yeah. yeah. And then he was doing okay um, the first week. You know, we had some blips. We almost lost him on Christmas Eve. Um, I'll never forget. Uh, they called us and we went down to see him. And at that point, he was moved to intensive care. He was out of NICU and he was in intensive care. And um, Maine Med has a, a lovely um, group of people who volunteered there and there were just so many Santa Clauses coming through. Um, every time we were able to go see see him there would be another stuffed animal from somebody. Or, uh, his room was just filled with stuffed animals from Santa's visiting and it was just it was crazy it was amazing lots and lots of stuffed animals but I remember um, Silent Night was playing and I finally broke down because I was just, he was okay, but I think I finally let myself like yeah. feel how incredibly hard this was. Um, and I cried for a bit and my husband cried. And, uh, our heart surgeon, who was amazing, Dr. Quinn, um, left his family dinner Came on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, and came and and sat with us, and checked on him. And he brought his son, who was um, also studying to be a doctor, all dressed up in their Christmas finest. Left their dinner, and came, oh. and um, you know, it it meant a lot. It it just it showed me that you know I wasn't in it alone, kind of. Yeah. And that. They really did care. Yeah. Um, so I lose parts, and, you know, bits and pieces, and I think a lot of it's <laughs> a lot of it's blocked out. Um, he did finally move up to the Barbara Bush ward, and they thought he was going to be okay. He had another um, surgery scheduled, but he was doing okay, except that they couldn't get him off of the oxygen. Um, so. We, we would be able to stay in the room. It wasn't comfortable, I was in a chair, but that was okay. Um, and we would watch him all the time. We got to hold him. Um, he was all connected, but I still got to hold him and smell him. And I know every mom says this, but he really was the most beautiful baby. He <laughs> <laughs> was just beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful boy. Um, and many hours, many hours just went by so quickly and slowly at the same time. Yeah, I lost time track work. of time. Yeah. And Maine Med became my home. It, I, I just would get up. I'd go have my coffee downstairs. I'd say hi to people I see all the time in the hallway. And Garrick only lived for three weeks. So this was all condensed in three weeks, but I really felt like 
like a lifetime. It was just so long. Um, it was crazy. <laughs> I think, um, I think I had a lot of time to think while I was there um, because he would, he would have to go through a lot of screenings and tests and I was pumping. He was being fed through a feeding tube, so I was um, trying to pump and, and get that milk and store the milk for, you know, when he was going home. Um, so the night before my, his surgery, I remember the doctor coming in and the anesthesia's coming in and telling me, you know, the risks. And I'm not a very religious person, um, but I did find myself down in the chapel crying for a while. Um, but we were told that, you know, things look good. He was strong, he was a fighter. Um, and they gave me a 95% chance of his survival through this. And is this, the, this is not the first surgery? This would be the, well, he had the first one when he was born, uh -huh. and then they had to go in again and, and readjust something. Uh -huh. So this would, would have been his third, but this was the big one. The big he one. was getting, he was going to get the, the valve replacement, and you know, when he was older, they would have to replace it as his heart grew. Yes. So, yes. so you know, I would find myself looking out the window, Portland, and pumping, and thinking, good Lord, I can't wait for him to see how beautiful this place is. And I would be making plans, and first thing we're going to do is, we're gonna, I can't wait for him to go and see the ocean, and, and just making all these just plans, and, and then I'd just stop and start crying because I think part of me felt like, well, don't, don't get ahead of yourself, Kim Mickey. <laughs> don't do it. Um, but it's hard not to, I think, at a certain point, again, yeah. when you received the information from them that this is yeah. looking good, right? Right. You have, we're going to do this. Yeah. It's percentage And it was wise. a long day. And it was a long surgery. It so was. It was. So we were waiting. Um, and again, the amount of support was just phenomenal. I had so many friends calling and stopping by the hospital and because of the, the positive, I guess the positive outcome we thought that we were going to have, I invited my grandmother up, um, which was a really big deal. Um, my grandmother lost her son when he was three years old and back then they didn't really talk about things like that. It just doesn't happen. You just move on, you don't talk about it. And so I, I was so nervous for my grandmother to be in this environment, but where he was going to be fine. She, would, she came up from Massachusetts. I, I, and they told us, you know, everything looks great. Why don't you go get a room at uh, Ronald McDonald house and when you come back you'll be able to hold him so we walked down to the Ronald McDonald house secured a room walked back it couldn't have been more than 20 minutes and when we walked in the room 
I saw my um, heart specialist, not the surgeon, but the specialist nurse. She was crying. And then I saw my sister and she was crying and I didn't want to go in the room. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I did and we found out that he passed away and my grandmother she was so angry she was just so angry I so terrible that she had to relive all of that oh, it was awful um, but I do have to interrupt to say that this just speaks to who you are and why I adore you because of course you were thinking about your grandmother and worried for her when you just lost your son. Well. Because it's who you are. <laughs> You're just so full of love. That's very sweet. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and I don't really remember a lot. I remember a lot of crying. They, they take you to a private room and, and talk to you. And I don't really remember anything they said. I do, I, I do remember um, them telling me that they were going to clean him and that we needed to go and say our goodbyes and being terrified. And I didn't want to do it. It made me feel, again, so guilty because it was, it was just too hard. It was so hard. But I, as my ex-husband used to say, pull your bloody socks up. I pulled my bloody socks up. <laughs> <laughs> and I went in and I saw my son. He wasn't alive, but he still looked alive. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have all the wires or the feeding tubes or the monitors. So he just looked like a, a baby sleeping. It was, so they put him in my arms and I cried and, and then Paul took him and he broke down, and it was really the first time since we had found out about the whole situation. Um, it was the first time I see him. I had seen him actually have a breakdown because yeah. he was so completely strong for me. He was amazing. He was beyond supportive through all of that, and. Um, so he took Garrett from me, but then he had a breakdown and he wouldn't let go of him. The, um, the nurses had to kind of calm him down and, and try to take the baby away from him because he wouldn't let go of him. And my mom and my sister were there, leave, and they kissed him. My poor sister, 
she lived in Massachusetts still, and so did my mom. But my sister was coming up religiously, just all the time, leaving her own two small children at home to make sure I was okay and, and make sure everything was fine, and, and you know, just always there. And my friends were always there, always. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, at the time, I worked at USM at the daycare. And the USM community, there just aren't enough words for the kindness of people. <laughs> they, they gathered um, everybody together who worked with me in the daycare. And they let them know. And they let the parents know. And parents, um, we're sending donations to the Ronald McDonald House in, in honor, um, honor of Garrick and of, of Paul and I, and it, it was just it was it was amazing. It was a little sad because I just would keep getting these reminders in the mail. <laughs> and it was lovely, but it's like. Oh. Yeah. I don't want to get another postcard that somebody donated money. <laughs> right. Just today, no, I just don't want to. I'm like, I've never had so many casseroles in my entire life. <laughs> I didn't even know you put chips on casseroles <laughs> until that very moment. <laughs> uh, there was enough food to feed me probably until about now. <laughs> I had to start giving it away to friends. Um, it was just, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. Um, I didn't want to medicate myself right after, and they wanted me to. Uh, they, Maine Man did a wonderful job of having a counselor speak to me. Um, I don't really remember what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, I don't know where anybody went, it's crazy the bits that you lose. Yeah. I do remember being so sad, but also so angry at people who were, that I didn't know, laughing in the hall right. or just carrying on with their lives. I, I guess I, I assumed the world was going to stop because mine just did. And they gathered all those millions of stuffed animals and all you know three weeks worth of you know his clothes because we thought he was going to be going home and his blankets and all my stuff because I basically lived there for three weeks and just put them in giant trash bags to bring home um, and there was just so much stuff there was just so much stuff um, and by the time I got home Garrick's room had been taken down. And I know that my family did it because they were just so worried about me. But there was like, there was no trace of him. All I had left of him was trash bags, which I didn't dare open, didn't right. want to open it. So trash bags sat for a while in my room. We planned the memorial service, which I don't really, recall I remember not wanting to have music and they insisted that I did because 
music makes people feel, which is true. And it always has been true for me. So, yeah. And they didn't want me not to feel because it was so important for everyone to feel during this time when they say goodbye. And they, when they explained that to me, I decided I better take the drugs. <laughs> take the drugs? Take the damn drugs, Kim. Because <laughs> I'm not going to survive it if I don't have something to just stop myself. Oh, my God. And the memorial service was, I, I don't know if the memorial service should ever be called lovely, but there was a lot of love there. It was packed with so many of my friends, some of my friends' parents, and co-workers and family and people from Massachusetts. It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, in three weeks, this little boy taught me the meaning of life. Just like that. Very hard way to teach it. <laughs> I would have preferred a different way, but <laughs> he really did. He taught me to just stop and look at what's beautiful and stop and recognize love and be okay with accepting it. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just need, you need to know that you're not out there alone. I think about the, so many families that were in the ICU who had been there for months, months. It was crazy with all their little babies. And there, was, there were quite a few heart babies at the time. And there was this young single girl with her mom. And she was so young. and. And I didn't see many visitors. I didn't really know her story. And I thought, geez, I, I couldn't survive. I, I couldn't survive this, I don't think, without the love that I felt. Because it was honestly waiting and waiting and waiting for that special day and just know that there's a good chance it's not going to be the most special day, but it's going to be the most tragic day in your life. It was very difficult. It was very difficult. So I, I think of all these poor, young, single moms who didn't you know, have the support I had, and, and I'm blown away by their strength and courage. Blown away. It takes... It does take a village, it does, I learned that. And after the memorial service, we, we had food back at the house and, and I don't really remember that too well. There was some drama involving some friends that unfortunately also escalated at the same time as the memorial service, which I think everybody's emotions were on high. Yeah, and so there was a lot going on. There was so much going on. Um, one of our friends was going through an extremely difficult time and uh, showed up at my house the day after, the morning after. I want to say seven or eight in the morning after the memorial service, and she was distraught, just distraught. 
with what was going on in her life. With her own life? With her life, yeah. And I thought, well, this will be, this will be good distraction for me. And I know. Because you're you, because you're, so, <laughs> you're so nice. No, I mean, she was, she was a mess. And, you know, we, thank you. Um, we made coffee. My husband, who wasn't a drinker, went out and bought some Baileys. We didn't really deal with the day very well. We had Baileys in our coffee to start our day. And I remember at one point feeling beyond exhausted. And listening to her and focusing on that, I, I just got really tired suddenly. Had to be about dinner time. That's how long this day had gone on. Oh my gosh. And she had stayed there all day. Yeah. And she was upset. She was really upset. There was. Um, so I went up to take a shower and I couldn't find my sweatpants. And I realized they were in the bag. Oh no. So I finally had to open up the bag and uh, I realized that actually I don't have time for her problems right now but I didn't know how to tell her so I was sitting on my floor with Garrett's stuffed animals emptying out the bag looking for my sweatpants crying and I, I heard Paul say, you know, I think Kim needs a break right now. And sent her on her way. And um, the phone was ringing off the hook, of course. Everybody concerned and checking in. People asking if they can come over or bring me anything. Finally, uh, Paul said, we're leaving town. Call the counselor, make sure it's okay. And we are getting as far away from everyone as you can. You need, you need to be alone for a bit. Yeah. Terrifying. It was terrifying to me to unplug from that support. Well, right. It yeah. was it, because it gave me way too much time to think about right. um, everything. Because even then, I mean, it, he he would have been eighteen year um, and I get bits and pieces and snippets and sometimes I just get really sad and I know why you know I don't think it's a pain that ever goes away I think it changes I think it's different on different days um, but I think it could be really easy to get lost in it because it's so deep it's so it, it's, it feels unnatural to say goodbye to you, baby. I was going to ask about that because I know that we've talked a little bit before. You know, we've touched on the idea of, like, there was a point in time where you didn't want to live. Oh, yes. And, and how, how long did that last? And did you ever feel like, you're like, okay, now I know I'm out the other side of that, or did it just slowly go away? Like, that period of time. So, like, Paul unplugs you from that. From, from 
all of the people checking in and in some ways you you know that needed to happen at least even briefly yeah but then you go back to your real life and 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 talk about that chunk of time after well unfortunately um, because I had been on I had to take a medical leave um, and go on bed rest I did at the end of the pregnancy yes I and then and then you were for three he lived for three weeks yeah which of course I didn't work right um, we were in debt up to our eyeballs, so I had to go back to work right. pretty soon after right. all of this. Um, so jumping back into life just seemed almost comical. Yeah, because it's that's a great word. It it felt it it was so foreign. It was it was it just I didn't feel like. A person I felt like a ghost and I think where I work with children where they don't have filters God bless them your baby died all the time they, they would have to talk about it all the time um, some of the preschoolers would make me cards sorry your baby's dead I mean it was it was very it was a very interesting period the first couple weeks after and I people didn't know what to say, so they would avoid even making eye contact with me. Yep. And so I started to feel like I was dead. And I thought, it'd be so much easier. I cannot tolerate feeling like this. I can't. I, I just, being that sad and physically, your heart physically hurts. Mm. It was bad. Um, and because, this is a weird side note, but because I had gained 100 pounds, <laughs> um, that 100 pounds doesn't come off so easily. So people, and I was induced, so we went a month earlier than my actual due date. People would say, so when are you having the baby? Oh, dear God. And then I wouldn't know what to say. I would feel so uncomfortable because... I didn't want them to feel bad because I'm sorry I had him and he passed away. You know, there's no way to break that to a person who's like, yay, when are you having your baby? Um, oh my God. Kim. So I just felt like I, I, I just, I don't want to live. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know how to live. Yeah. How do you live in this world? And I just kept getting flashbacks of, my grandmother and my family's face and my friends and just so much hurt and like you know Paul God yeah. I still I have to push those the picture of him clinging on to Garrick and not letting go out of my mind because sometimes I feel like it's enough to make someone feel crazy that, that amount of pain it was it was tremendous to see so much pain and not just mine right you know everybody it was it was insane it was it was a really rough period but i knew deep down that i couldn't cause any more pain to these people and if i killed myself they would feel horrible they would feel like they didn't do enough and they did so much without even knowing right and they would 
you know, and I would leave Paul alone. You know, <laughs> it was it was a really really hard struggle for a while to to maintain enough strength to get me through the day and try to put on a brave face so that people wouldn't constantly look at me with worry and pity. It was awful. It was awful. And of course they're going to look at me that way. Right. They just, you know, I am fortunate enough to have such great people in my life. They were with me from the very beginning. They were with me before I even knew Paul. Right. Probably a little unhealthy, <laughs> but we were always all together. And, and I, you know, they were, they were part of my family besides my mom, you know, and just seeing them, catching the looks on their faces of constant worry that I wasn't going to survive this. It was just too much for me to bear. So I had to suck it up and pull up my bloody socks and continue on. Uh, Main Meds um, had me go to grief counseling through them. And going back into that building, which was, you know, for three weeks, my home. Um, still going into that building. Yeah. Um, just the smell of it. I can still, I can smell it. I know the smell by heart. Um, it was really difficult. It was really difficult. But the, the grief counselor was wonderful. Uh, they wanted me to go to group therapy, but it just wasn't for me. I could, I, I, I knew what my limitations were, and that definitely was, I had to draw the line and uh, continue on with my life. And I did some journaling, but then that got too sad. <laughs> and so I decided that I was going to have another baby. <laughs> and so when, what kind of time frame? So, so you went through this and then you were like, Okay, so <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Well, I, I, and I'm really sorry about this, but really, I think a lot, all of it is so mashed together. Not really sure. It's a blur because of the autopilot I had been on for so long just to stay alive. Days would go by and I know if it was a work day or if I knew I knew it wasn't. That's how I marked my time. Um, it was a few weeks and then I had to let my body heal and of course go to the grief counselor and we had to wait a little bit because she didn't she was afraid that I was gonna instantly get pregnant and A maybe lose that baby. Which I don't know if I could ever survive that. Um, so we waited a little bit. So Garrick was born on December 21st, 1999. He passed away three weeks later, exactly three weeks, uh, January 11th, I believe. Um, and then Bryn was born December 25th, 2000, <laughs> so a year later. 
uh, pretty much from yeah. Garrick's birthday. Um, I had the same room, birthday room. Come on. Uh, yep. I had, for all of them, they put me in the same room. They, uh, they were giving, uh, I was of course monitored, yeah. crazy. Um, I was a nervous wreck, a nervous wreck, obviously. Um, but everything looked great. Uh, I told them, no three-day labor. <laughs> and the minute I stepped foot in that door, I want an epidural. <laughs> Here's some I things I know. <laughs> These are the things I do know. <laughs> Epidurals are okay with me. <laughs> the stronger, the better. <laughs> um, Bryn was born on Christmas. And once again, it was kind of surreal because it was Christmas. Yeah. Um, I had an army of people uh, surprise me. Um, they had to use one of the big giant carts to wheel in my Christmas dinner from home. That's awesome. <laughs> and presents, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, she came out very quickly. Poor thing. She didn't have a choice. I just kept pushing, even though I was supposed to wait. She shot out of me, I would say, in 20 minutes with a battered face because <laughs> I just get it. I wasn't going to do it again. I was like, she's coming out now. I'm done. Let's make sure she's okay. Um, and, and I was afraid to go home, though. And all of that fear guilt and sadness kind of reopened and and that made me feel really kind of sad for Bryn because right. I, I had so much joy and she was she looked terrible when she first came out poor thing I really did push her out too quickly she had, she had a burst blood vessel in her eye and her head was extra long and her, her forehead was squished down because <laughs> So she looked like she had this prominent dark brow and bloodied eye and a big bruise on her face. I was like, oh dear, <laughs> are you sure she's okay? <laughs> my poor, and my sister picked her up and kissed her head and said, Auntie has money and we're gonna fix this all up. <laughs> I, I love the sense of humor that you guys have always had. <laughs> it's so great. But it's, it, was a, it was a tough, and, and Paul was working nights then. Mm -hmm. So I was sent home. And you were by yourself at night with this baby? Yes. And I know, I know part of this story because... All of that fear of her, I didn't you. want her to die. Yeah. And it became my obsession, like to the point where I had to go on medication just to calm my body down because I, I wasn't sleeping. You said but, you would... Remember? Uh, she slept on top of yeah, me. Yeah, she would sleep on top of you. I, I had... <laughs> and you didn't sleep because you wanted to make sure she was right, breathing. Right, So I would... I watched a lot of Law & Order. Um, and the people in my life are just... They can sometimes cater to my weird whims, good or bad. Um, they found a bottle warmer that <laughs> has a cooler and a warmer and excess thing. So basically, I would lock myself in my bedroom at night when Paul would leave for work, and I would prop myself up with pillows, 
but not too much so that she could sleep on top of me and I could make sure I could feel her breathe. It's like I'd hold my breath to make sure I could feel her breathing throughout the night. And then I would drift off usually an hour before I knew he was gonna get home. And then he'd come home and I'd take all my, my traveling goods from my bedroom downstairs so he could sleep. And I would just repeat the process downstairs, you know, make sure she's awake. The poor kid never stood a chance. <laughs> She was running at eight months, probably, because I was like, stay awake, be alive. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was definitely an interesting moment in my life. But I think because, because I went through everything I did, um, I knew how special motherhood was and how people just take it for granted. I, I did. I did. I mean, I was cursing it when I found out I was pregnant. Right. You just take it for granted that it's just something that women do. And really, it's so much more than that. It, it it's, becomes who you are. And so when you lose who you are, it, it becomes very scary. And so when I had Bryn, I, 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 I wanted to make sure everything went just right. So the poor child was moved from belly time to seating time to this time to that time to this time while I'm not sleeping. Yeah. I had myself so worked up, I couldn't nurse. So she went on formula and had horrible guilt about that. Horrible sure. guilt about that. Sure. She's fine. <laughs> she survived it just fine. In fact, that day, uh, when the, the doctor, because I called crying and I don't know what's going on. He's like, she's not eating enough. You just need to stop, and it's okay. Yeah. And I cried a lot. And as I was crying, Paul was running out the door, went to get formula, and got a bottle of champagne and said, <laughs> now you need to sleep. <laughs> my mom and my sister drove back up. They basically peeled the baby out of my hands and sent me to bed with a sleeping pill. And I think I slept an entire day almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To catch up. Um, and it, it, definitely, it definitely showed me that I want to be a mom. And I, I can't imagine doing life without being a mom and without my family and friends. I mean there's just that's what life is you know you just go through it without thinking for years I did for 30 something years I never thought about you know it's just something I did and you don't ever really stop and think look at this beautiful sunset and look at these amazing friends and look at my family and look at all that I do have you know it, you don't stop and think about it until something makes you. And, and I'm so thankful. I mean, I obviously wish I didn't have to go through all that. And I, my heart aches whenever I hear anybody going through anything with their children because I know firsthand how badly it hurts. Because they're you. They're, they're not 
they're part of you and you're them and you feel that pain and so I'm glad I, I got the chance to learn that lesson you know and be thankful for what I do have instead of taking my life and, and just throwing it all away because that was a close one <laughs> so I'm glad I did it and now I have two beautiful Teenagers? <laughs> Are they both teenagers? Uh, teenagers who some days try me more than <laughs> I'm willing to stand. But um, they're beautiful and they, they're they funny and they're amazing and they're part of me. They're their own people, but I'm them and they're me and it, it's an amazing gift. and. I don't know if anything, you know, if I would have these such strong feelings of connection if it wasn't for Gary. I just don't know. I mean, I, I think I learned so much in such a difficult way, but God, it was, it was a lesson I'll, I'll forever be grateful to Garrett for forever. I'm so grateful for him. Thank you for telling me about him. <laughs> Thanks for letting me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to go have some wine. <laughs> <laughs>usually discussed over dinner or even breakfast for that matter. I've always been a person who wasn't that great at small talk. If you've been trapped with me for more than five minutes, I'm sure you know what I mean. But I think that this stuff is really the best part of life. Sometimes, okay, no, often, often, always, always a slog of sadness is something that you feel like you're really not going to be able to live through. Like when you're in it, whatever this thing is, feels heavy and unbearable and you're just not going to make it. And then somehow, at some point, you realize you're on the other side of it and that you did it. You made it. It may not have been pretty, most likely. It was messy and ugly. I am only speaking from experience. But if we take the bits that are useful, those learning moments, as we look back, and we use those to grow and we keep those bits, then those are the ones that help us navigate the next slog. Maybe it's not as difficult. I don't know. I'm just forever fascinated by humans and our ability to overcome, to be eternally hopeful and positive. I am truly in love with our ability to do this. And that's why I love this podcast. So if you know a woman who has done this thing, this getting through and on the other side of whatever terrible, sad occurrence, slog, nightmare she's on the other side of it, well, as you've heard me say before, I would love to talk to her. Thank you again to Keith Kenneth for his fabulous theme music, and I'll see you all soon.